Hi there, my name is Vini. I am a material engineer and in this episode we will take a look at the first part of two of the sinking of the Titanic. Titanic is probably one of the most famous movies ever made in the last century, in which Leonardo DiCaprio played Jack and Kate Winslet played Rose. Everybody knows that the ship stuck an iceberg and sank some minutes after, but what actually happened during the real accident? The content of this episode is based on the document published by the Metallurgy Division of the U.S. Department of Commerce's National Institute of Standards and Technology, 1998, which is linked in the description of this episode. On April 12, 1912, the RMS Titanic stuck an iceberg in the Atlantic and sank 400 miles or about 644 kilometers southwest of Newfoundland and unfortunately over 1500 people died on that day. This ship was dubbed unsinkable by the popular press and as you might imagine it was the largest moving man-made object ever made. In the document regarding Robert Ballard's investigation 1985 the Titanic was found divided into two pieces oriented in opposite directions, which makes clear that it broke at the surface. Pieces of the whole material were analyzed and mechanical tests as Sharpie impact were performed, given that the fracture was 100% brittle at the ice brine temperature. Consider this information it suggests that the stuck with the iceberg was sufficient to break the brittle hull plates causing the sink. In this episode, we will discuss the first aim of the document, the investigation and the determination of the mechanical and chemical analysis through many techniques, determining if the Titanic steel could be considered inferior when compared with the contemporary material. And in the next episode, we will discuss the second goal, the detailed analysis of the microstructure of the raw iron rivets. Hey, sorry for interrupting, but don't forget to like this episode, the podcast on your favorite platform, and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. I'd love if you could share it with your friends and family. Besides, if you have any question or are wondering about a subject, send me an email that is in the description of the podcast. Comparing the microstructure of both, Titanic steel and the modern steel, in the Titanic one there were large grains, coarse perlite, and evidence of sulfide manganese and oxides in which the sulfide manganese particles were deformed. It indicates that the process to produce the steel didn't have either crunching and normalization treatment, being possible to conclude that it was made by a low-speed rolling mill process. Instead, the modern steel grade IZ-1018, which has almost the same composition, shows finer grains, finer perlite, and smaller and less sulfide manganese particles throughout the microstructure, which is typically produced by high-speed mill process. Charpy test, which we discussed in the last episode, provided that the ductile to brittle transition was at plus 40 degrees Celsius, to the longitudinal direction of the whole plate sample and plus 70 degrees Celsius to the transverse direction one, both much above the water temperature of minus 2 degrees Celsius. 
The fracture surface shows a typical brittle fracture. At ice brine temperature, the portion of the ductile fracture surface was less than 5%. The chemistry composition of the titanic steel showed that it is similar to the modern steel and with elevated sulfur and low manganese content. Almost all the sulfur was tied up with the sulfide manganese instead of distributed into the matrix or grain boundary. According to the document, the fracture toughness of the whole steel is unacceptably low to be used as a structure material at ice water temperatures, and it's due to several characteristics represented basically by the effects of chemistry, mica structure, the architecture, and loading rate. So, about the effect of the chemistry of the steel, the sulfur and phosphorus concentration seems to be higher than modern steel, which both can decrease the toughness but their influence in the transition temperature is smooth. However, it is not sufficient to say that it would make the material brittle. About the mica structure, the host tube appears to have been air-cooled and annealed, wherein the most of the carbon content is tied up in carbon lamella in perlite. Thus, the perlite that cores would be the carbide that could control the fracture behavior. The fracture starts in the weakest link, and the authors present that the sulfides might not be the responsible for initiation the fractures since the huge population of large carbides is in the form of perlite lamella that could have acted as fracture initiators. An important detail is that the first quantitative ways to evaluate the fracture toughness of a material as Sharpie test was only developed five or so years before the construction of Titanic and obviously the Sharpie test should have been performed but back then they thought that ordnance steels were more likely to fail by fracture than structure steels as the one used in the Titanic construction. Talking about architecture design, the authors highlight some possible common practices of ship buildings in the 1911s that could have contributed to the sinking. The first one is the stress concentration. Due to the lack of understanding, there wasn't a common practice removing stress concentration from the material as hatch corners and straight junctions. The second is cracks and rivet holes because rivets were and still being cold punched to maintain the whole steel plates together. In the rivet holes were found many cracks that the constructors used to think that a good rivet would clamp the stress avoiding crack propagation. The third one is the plate variability in the microstructure and fracture properties of the plates. According to the authors, two plate fragments they analyzed appeared to be rolled in different temperatures, evidenced by the severed bending and the sulfide manganese particles melting. This means that some of the plates could have been under risk of brittle fracture at ice brine temperature, while others would have been fine. Finally, the fourth one is the effect of loading rate. The authors remember that iron-based alloys as they said, exhibit strain rate sensitive fracture behavior 
and considering the ship velocity about 20 plus knots, the strain rates would probably have occurred close to the Sharpie impact test, which signifies that the metal would have a brittle behavior at this strain rate. I hope you have enjoyed. Thanks for listening. See you in the next episode.